This is Texas BioBytes from Texas Biomed. I'm your host, Wendy Rigby. Today, we're talking to one of the newest faculty members at Texas Biomedical Research Institute. He's a quantitative biologist. There's a term you may not have heard before. His job is to take massive amounts of data from different disciplines to develop new ways to research virology and cancer. Hello, my name is Diako Ebrahimi. I am an assistant professor here, and my role here is to develop a program in quantitative biology. What is quantitative biology? So quantitative biology is basically a field which includes application of mathematics, statistics, and in general quantitative sciences in biology. Why is it useful in this field? Because nowadays there are lots of data being generated on daily basis to look at complex problems in biology. For example, in cancer, we have data from the DNA of uh, cancer patients. We have data from what is produced from the DNA of these patients, which is in some cases proteins. We have information about what is methylated in the DNA of these patients, and we would like to combine all of that and then be able to apply proper mathematical algorithms or uh, approaches to be able to interpret this big data to be able to answer complex problems. So in a way, when the genome was mapped in 2000 and our computer processing has created more data, now comes a need to be able to process all of this data and find new answers within it. Precisely, precisely. With this new technology, we have more and more data being generated. Now the question is, how do you want to analyze this data? And obviously, this is a growing field. More and more institutes now have shown interest in developing quantitative biology. You might wonder, how does one become a quantitative biologist? I asked Dr. Abrahimi to explain the path that brought him to San Antonio and this job. So I uh, did my master's in uh, a field called chemometrics. Uh, so chemometrics, by definition, is application of, again, quantitative sciences, mostly mathematics, statistics, in chemistry. Uh, and then for my PhD, I decided again to continue in this field. And during my PhD, which was in Australia, I was exposed to uh, an interesting collaboration with an immunology group. So they had a complex problem that required statistical analysis, mathematical analysis. They spoke with me and then uh, collaborated with them and I realized that there is a lot of interesting problems in biology that I can solve using my skills uh, in chemistry. So this is how I became interested in uh, biology in general and then switch field that was in 2009, moved from chemistry to biology and then learned more about viruses, more about cancer and then uh, basically now I call myself a quantitative biologist. Texas Biomed is committed to the eradication of the threat of infectious diseases. How can your field help in this endeavor? Some molecular mechanisms that uh, are dealing with in virus infection uh, are very complicated. And uh, my role here is to apply mathematical methods, computational methods to uh, 
deconvolute this complexity so that we can better understand what happens at a molecular level so that we can better understand how the virus interacts with our immune system and then uh, use this, this information for precision medicine to develop new treatment or prevention strategies. Do you envision yourself working with many of the different scientists here at the Institute? Absolutely. The good thing about quantitative biology is that it's kind of limitless. You don't have to limit yourself to a specific virus, for example. Data is data. They might have different structures if they may come in different forms, but the quantitative biology is there to analyze data. So definitely my work would overlap with most of the scientists here at Texas Biomed, and I am very excited about that opportunity to be part of Texas Biomed. Give us an example of a disease that you have worked with where quantitative biology helped find some answers. Yeah, for example, in the field of HIV research, we have a couple of databases. One of them is Los Alamos. There are hundreds and thousands of HIV sequences from different patients from different parts of the world. We recently analyzed those data and then combined it with data from a different genetic database called 1000 Genomes to be able to show that some African population compared to, for example, Non-African population have a different forms of, you know, a protein which is responsible for fighting HIV. And uh, now we are investigating more to figure out how this change at a genetic level, which is then translated to how the proteins are made, can uh, affect transmission, for example, rate being different in different parts of the world. We have found a change, which now we are hypothesizing may be responsible for higher rate of transmission in Africa. Obviously, there are so many other variables that is different in Africa compared to outside Africa, but we have discovered the molecular mechanism. Now we would like to now combine this data with data from uh, other sources to better understand what's going on. So there could be a genetic component that is driving a higher rate of transmission in certain parts of the world. Yeah, it's well possible, not only with HIV infection, with many other infections. Genetic is always a big factor. How about in the field of cancer? In, in what ways have you been able to use quantitative biology to help in that arena? So one of the things that I am very interested in and I'm working on uh, the projects at the moment is to be able to deconvolute the complexity in cancer. So when we take a sample from a, a patient, uh, that sample is not made of tumor cells only. There are normal cells, there are immune cells, there are all sort of different cell types that are in this tissue that we analyze. And now in most cases, we ignore this complexity and we make the assumption that all of the changes that we see at a protein level comes from the tumor cells. But in fact, in many studies, people have shown, and I have shown, that uh, many of these variation that we see from patient to patient, from mechanism to mechanism, is not really due to tumor cell itself. It may come from what we call tumor microenvironment. So through computational analysis, you can apply methods that can deconvolute this 
data set, which in most cases come in, t in the form of matrices that you do use linear algebra or other techniques to analyze those data sets. And knowing that, how would that help? So that would help because if we have two things, two processes uh, changing at the same time, one of them, let's say, increases a gene, the other one decreases a gene, and you have an increase and a decrease and they cancel each other out and you basically don't see anything. So you may assume that this particular patient you know, doesn't have any of these two mechanisms, for example. But then if you know that you know, beneath this overall change, there are actually two things changing in opposite directions and both of these two are important, then you will be able to better understand what's going on and uh, you will be able to use this information to develop better therapies. So really, it gives you a clearer picture of what's going on. It sort of takes the fuzzy edges and brings them into focus. Precisely. So the, one of the main aims here is to figure out what is going wrong inside the tumor cells. Obviously, tumor microenvironment is very important. Tumors and cells in the neighborhood of the tumor interact with each other. But what we really want to know is how these tumor cells are different from their environment, from the normal cells in the environment. And you will never be able to answer these questions unless if you deconvolute this complexity. I asked Dr. Ebrahimi to explain what he uses as his tools of the trade. My tools are mostly computational methods. Sometimes these computational methods and algorithms are available, so I go and use them based on the structure of the data. I pick the algorithm, the method, which fits best with the structure of the data. For example, if it is a viral sequence, it may require a different method compared to when it is a its human genome. If those tools are not available for the specific problem that I'm looking into, I work with my team members to develop new algorithms to solve the problem. So it's not one size fits all? Absolutely not, yeah. Each problem has its own unique features, and then in some cases, you know, data is available, alg algorithms are available. In other cases, you have to produce all of that yourself. And again, I'm excited to be here because I can collaborate with a wet lab scientist here to generate new data for me in case if I need new data to answer complex problems. When you come up with these new methods or new calculations, do you share these new computations with other people in your field? Is it something that sort of snowballs like that? Uh, yes, these days when you publish a paper, when you write about your findings, you are required to also submit all the data. And if you have developed a new algorithm, you have to send it, upload it to a website that's provided to you by the journal. You have to send all the information, all the codes that you have produced as part of that study. And I would assume that as a quantitative biologist, you want to share new ways of looking at data with people around the world. For sure, yeah. Most of the things that I have done in my research has been based on data that other people have shared, they have uploaded onto databases, and then somebody like me can 
go in and analyze data. Without data sharing, we really cannot go anywhere. So I highly recommend scientists around the world to take data sharing very seriously. Why are you passionate about this? I see the impact. Even basic discoveries that we make has an impact on human health. You've been listening to Texas Biobytes from Texas Biomed. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes and most popular podcast platforms. And you can listen to previous episodes on our website, txbiomed.org. There you can sign up by email to have a new episode delivered to your inbox every two weeks. We love sharing our science. I'm Wendy Rigby. Thanks for listening.